break 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 through news. Hello, everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. German support for Israel appears to be unshakable, no matter what the Israelis do to Palestinians. The irony, of course, is that much of this support for Israel is justified by the Germans as necessary to make up for their Holocaust against European Jews. It seems Palestinians are paying for Europe's crimes. To discuss this phenomenon, I'm joined by Daniel Yegich. German author and postdoctoral researcher at the Lebanese American University with a PhD in American Studies, who wrote about this topic for TRT in a piece titled, Palestinians Must Suffer So Germany Can Feel Better About Its Past. Daniel, welcome. Thank you, Rania. So I guess let's just get right into it. You know, you write in your piece that Germany's attachment to Israel is not a political question, but part of Germany's identity. Can you explain what you meant by that? And then we can go into uh, the specifics a bit more. Sure. So uh, what I meant by that is the fact that in Germany, throughout the political spectrum, but also throughout society, as well as within the media, uh, within the country, there is a very staunch support for Israel that is uh, unrelated to the actual policies on the ground. And it doesn't necessarily change according to what happens uh, in Palestine, Israel, but is rather something that uh, is beyond actual politics. And as such, it is part of Germany's identity. Um, Several German politicians throughout the decades have stressed how the so-called security of the state of Israel is a primary uh, concern for Germany and for Germany's existence uh, as such. Uh, so as a consequence, of course, the uh, or as a result of that, Israel's crimes against Palestinians uh, necessarily become part of this very construction of what Germanists or the German um, identity, the contemporary identity uh, constitutes. You know, it's it's so interesting because um, obviously Germany led the Holocaust, was behind the Holocaust. Um, and then after World War II, I just want to go back and explain some of this history because I don't know if everybody's aware of this. Um, after World War II, many former Nazis actually ended up making up or, or ended up in high positions in the German government. Can you just kind of briefly give an overview of that before we get into the history of German support for Israel? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, if, even if we look at the political discourse today, there's oftentimes this idea that the crimes that were committed were restricted to this time frame of 1933 to 45. However, they didn't start there and didn't end there. So after Germany's capitulation in the Second World War, uh, many, I mean, structures continued to, to, um, to be alive. And there were attempts at denazification, uh, which was the idea to uh, eradicate sort of this ideology, but it was really abandoned quite early on. So effectively, uh, many of the structures just continued and politicians that had um, that were in the West German parliament in the decades following the Second World War, uh, amongst them were people who had... Um, who had some function within the Nazi regime. So it wasn't necessarily, there was a clear cut in 45. Um, and however, today, part of the narrative that is used uh, not only by the far right, but generally uh, that is quite prominent is the idea that there were these crimes that took place and somehow Germany had um, allegedly managed to overcome them. Uh, but effectively, I mean, there is, many of the consequences are still felt today. So, 
You talk about how Palestinian refugees, right, are being forced to pay for Germany's genocide of the Jewish people. Um, that's a lot to say, right? Can you unpack that a little bit? Like, what does that mean? What, what do you mean when you say Palestinian refugees are paying for that? So if we look at the existence of the state of Israel as such, this is a settler colonial project that emerged or it is based on an ideology on Zionism, which emerged as a settler colonial movement at the height of European colonialism in the late 19th century. Um, so in, to that extent, it is similar in many ways to other European colonial uh, movements. Now, today, Israel can only continue to exist in its current racist forms through the continuous oppression of Palestinians. Israel has constructed an apartheid regime. It is continuing the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians now in the 74th year since the uh, very violent proclamation of the state of Israel in Palestine took place in uh, 48. So Israel as a country is unthinkable without these injustices that are being committed against the Palestinian people on a daily basis. Now, at the same time, the state of Israel is being in the rhetoric in Germany, not only in Germany, of course, we see that in many um, parts of the Western world, is being uh, part of the European or Euro-Atlantic or Euro-American uh, sort of framework where Israel is regarded as a democracy, which it isn't. It is an apartheid regime. And where it is seen as a sort of fragile European um, place in an allegedly, um, I would say, uh, dangerous uh, neighborhood here where we are right now. And this, of course, we're, the, we're the dangerous ones, right? We're, the, we're in Lebanon right now. So we're, we're the dangerous ones for Israel, exactly. I suppose. The yeah. dangerous brown people who are allegedly trying to um, kill Jews. I mean, this is, this is part of, of this narrative, which really goes back to those very um, ugly Orientalist and racist tropes that construct uh, indigenous people in this region as the uh, violent and dangerous other. Uh, so, but if, again, if we go back into the, the founding years of Zionism and into the first half of the 20th century, Israel emerged as an outpost of European colonialism in this area. It is a settler colonial movement. And effectively incorporating that into this Western idea of uh, Western liberal democracy, of course, implies that Palestinians, um, that their suffering is somehow justified. Now, when it comes to Germany, there is this equation, uh, not only in the, political, um, in the political discourse, but throughout society, media, and so on, of Israel with the Jewish people oftentimes, and of the ideology of Zionism, which is a racist settler colonial ideology with the Jewish people as, as well. Even though Zionism as such isn't necessarily part of the discourse, people do not necessarily talk about Zionism or about colonialism or about apartheid. But the idea is pretty much that as long as Israel exists to some extent, um, the, there is a way for Germany to overcome, at least rhetorically, what it has done to the Jewish people, which was a genocide. Uh, and beyond that, I would also like to remind us that anti-Semitism in Germany did not just start in the 20th century. It was part of the culture. It was a German tradition for so many centuries in which Jews were persecuted and oppressed. But effectively today, 
there is a demonization of Palestinians in German media, in particular, uh, oftentimes where Palestinian flags even symbolize or trigger some sort of very uh, aggressive reactions where anything that has to do with Palestinian um, with the Palestinian nation or any symbols or signs can trigger very harsh reactions within Germany because they somehow destabilize this idea of Germany uh, that uh, there is Israel, Israel security should be guarded and so on. So to that extent, of course, Palestinians do suffer in order for many people in Germany or the German state as such to feel that it is doing something to overcome its past. And it's, it's 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 so interesting to me how Germany making up for the genocide of European Jews is so tied up with supporting Israel. Um, you know, I, I believe that part of Germany's reparations for the Holocaust include for giving Israel uh, these dolphin class uh, nuclear armed submarines. Um, like there, there's this 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 effort to give reparations based on arming Israel, which is just so insane. So you have this genocide being used to give more weapons to a government that has a genocidal ideology. It's actually really horrifying and, and sounds like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, you can't make that up. Um, it just, it sounds awful. It's, it, and so I guess, is, is that what happens in Germany culturally and educationally? Is, is, it, is the existence of Israel used as a way to say, like, this is how we make up for the Holocaust by supporting Israel no matter what? It is, yeah. I mean, the idea of making up for it isn't really what is verbalized necessarily, mm -hmm. but it's more this insistence on um, securing Jewish life and making sure that Jews have a safe place to go to. But the fact that this idea is necessarily based on settler colonialism and apartheid is not really part of the discourse. So Palestinians are dehumanized, I would say, to an extent that their humanity doesn't really, isn't part of, of this discourse. Uh, but beyond that, of course, I mean, as you mentioned, the uh, idea of militarizing uh, this colony and providing uh, military assistance is of course part and parcel of Germany's foreign policy in general. It does uh, extend beyond Israel. Of course, Germany was one of the main supporters of the South African apartheid regime and one of the last uh, countries that was still uh, supporting South Africa uh, even at, at when it was when, when the apartheid regime was about to fall. Um, so it is, uh, Germany does like to, and I think one of the things that it managed quite well after the Second World War until now was to portray itself also uh, in a way as a nation that is overcoming its past, that is dealing with racism. But at the same time, I mean, South Africa and Palestine are two very... Um, clear examples of how Germany's for at least foreign policy uh, involves the support for racial hierarchies, uh, no matter how it is eventually rhetorically uh, justified, be it through securing <laughs> so, life or whatever. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's like the Holocaust or, or this this whole paradigm of, oh, we like have to support Israel to make up for our past is just kind of like a good excuse to support a settler colonial entity. That's actually very good. Uh, for German foreign policy as like the imperial power of Europe. Um, that said, you know, you also argue that you, this is, I'm quoting from your piece, that Jewish activists critical of Zionism have become victims of state violence, censorship, 
and political smear campaigns initiated mostly by white non-Jewish Germans. And this is really interesting to me because then here you have people, you know, German politicians who are probably the children and grandchildren of Nazis, let's be honest, um, that are actually a, that attack anti-Zionist Jews uh, based on their support for Palestinian rights. So it's just come full circle where mm -hmm. it also gives cover to like attacking Jews with the wrong politics, attacking left-wing Jews. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because this kind of goes into the argument you make about how Germany's support for Zionism is actually a form of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, even this... Um opposition to anti-Zionist Jews um, that has been quite violent at times in Germany is, we can say, anti-Semitic in itself, because it somehow is based on this idea that Jews or Jewish people have to adhere to a particular political ideology. And if they follow something that might be uncomfortable for the state, they might eventually become victims of targeted campaigns, which was the case with individual Jewish activists, as well as with uh, at least the Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, which is an uh, organization in, in Germany that had been targeted and boycotted by officials oftentimes. So there, it's okay to boycott those Jews, I guess. Yeah, because yeah, the... <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, because they use this um, this this very wrong equation that uh, criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, and oftentimes this wasn't necessarily uh, not necessarily only anti-Zionist um, policies or anti-Zionist um, views, but just uh, maybe even less than that, just harsh criticism of the Israeli regime can result in uh, allegations of anti-Semitism, uh, anti even if the people who voice it are Jewish, which also, to some extent, I feel implies that within those seven decades since the Holocaust, uh, many people had not taken the chance to educate themselves about Judaism, about Jewish people, that they still feel like they have the right to tell other people, regardless of their religion, what to think. And to come back to um, the... The quote that you just referred to in the article, uh, it is quite interesting that there are offices and branches of or, or offices within um, several. So Germany has a federal structure. So there are 16 states and each of them has their own political sort of organization. And but there are. Um, certain offices for the protection of Jewish life and for the fight against anti-Semitism. And these are oftentimes white uh, Christian Germans who then um, would maybe, you know, target people who are opposed to, uh, to Israel with accusations of anti-Semitism that, that can uh, include uh, Jews uh, as well. And, but interestingly, it is, as you said, white Germans or Christian or whatever. It's, 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 you know, when I think about activism, pro-Palestine activism in Western countries, it seems like Germany is really an exception in so many ways, because it seems like in the U.S. there's a lot more space to be critical of Israel and even critical of Zionism. Um, and that seems to exist in a lot of other European countries as well, except for maybe like France and Germany, but Germ Germany more so. Um, and I'm always, I always find the politics of Germany so interesting because even the left in Germany isn't anti-Zionist. Um, so can you explain, like for our, our, our listeners and viewers, most of whom are Americans and probably not German, can you explain briefly the politics of Germany from right to left mm -hmm. as it relates to Israel and Zionism? Is there significant support for Palestine and where does the support for Palestine come from? 
So, yeah, the political spectrum in Germany is, uh, as you mentioned, it is quite different from other um, European, including Western European countries, to the extent that the support for Zionism extends from the far right to the so-called left. So currently there are um, parties in the parliament, there's uh, the far right party AFD, there's the Christian Democratic Union, which is the major party and has been the major party, the governing party for, for many years now. Exactly. Yeah. He's been in power now for almost 16, uh, 16 years, I the think. The dictator of Germany. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. So it is quite uh, interesting. Yeah, it is uh, this party that is quite, quite strong, uh, much stronger than um, other parties. And there's the Social Democratic Party, the Green Party, the so-called Liberal Party and the so-called Left Party. Mm. But basically they're all center to right and then the AFD is far right. And then even on the left, uh, let's say side of the, of the, of the center, there's the, um, the so-called Left Party, which its name is Left, Die Linke, which has also supported um, policies that are uh, targeting Palestinians. So two years ago, there was a um, resolution in the German, in the federal parliament um, that um, entailed also, again, this idea that B supporting BDS would be anti-Semitic. And it was supported by most parties except for the left, which had their own resolution that wasn't that much different to that extent. So even though the wording um, differs between the parties, effectively there is a general idea that supporting a boycott of Israel would be anti-Semitic. Now, of course, BDS is basically just the call for the implementation of human rights. Mm -hmm. uh, so. It calls on Israel to allow Palestinians basic human rights and asks it eventually also to allow refugees to return. So Israel is only asked to fulfill UN resolutions that it has been violating for decades. This is considered anti-Semitic. Now, then the far right, the AFD, which is a more recent party because it entered the parliament within the last decade, had, for example, their own resolution that they presented in parliament, which was unsuccessful. But their idea was um, they basically wrote this sort of explanation of the resolution, how implying that BDS is an extension of the Nazi boycott of Jews. And we're basically implying a complicity of Palestinians in the Holocaust within that resolution. That's a big jump. Wait, wait, how do you go from, wait, wh what? <laughs> What's the argument behind that, that Palestinians uh, were complicit in the Holocaust? So the idea was, again, it was based on this uh, lack of distinction between Zionism and Judaism. And then uh, it was said that the, um, the uprising that took place in Palestine in 1936 against the, the settlers and then um, that anti-Zionist, in this case, anti-colonial, but then none of these parties would use the term colonial, right? So it's not mm -hmm. part of their language. Right. Uh, so they find a different way to repack it, uh, that anti-colonial um, moments or anti-colonial action was anti-Semitic because based again on, on this equation that Zionism is uh, representative of, of Jews. And so this resolution failed, but only because it was brought forward by the AFD and the other mm. parties would be, uh, wouldn't openly support any of that. But then they, they came up with their own resolution, which was different in the wording, but which again, criminalized or attempted at least to criminalize Palestinians and non-Palestinians or anyone who supports 
uh, BDS. And then beyond that, outside of the parliament, uh, as you have mentioned, activism for Palestine is almost non-existent. There are individuals, there are groups, but they are also target being targeted. Uh, but it is very different from the United States uh, or the United Kingdom, where there are groups on campus, for example, where university life has some sort of proposing activism and so on. Yeah, there's this trend in the U.S. and I think in a lot of um, other Western countries where younger people have different politics on this issue. Um, and they definitely identify increasingly with Palestinians and see Israel as being this kind of like very violent uh, Sparta style state. Uh, and they're right to view it that way. But that that trend doesn't exist in Germany with younger people even. Not really. I mean, at least not to in a visible way that it would actually create some mm. sort of attention. However, interestingly, there it, it's more of the opposite. There are um, some sort of smaller groups that um, you know pretend to be anti-fascist but are Zionists mm. at the same time. So <laughs> this is like, as well in Germany, where anti-fascism is considered to be Zionist and pro-Israel. Uh, so crazy. <laughs> That sounds so backwards. Hmm? There's a group <laughs> called the Anti-Deutsches, or the Anti-Germans, uh, who are uh, basically smearing pro-Palestinian activists and attacking them, are basically quite nationalist, but are pretending to be opposed to Nazism and what um, the previous generations in Germany had perpetuated. I'm curious, you know, you went, we mentioned earlier the way that ant Jewish anti-Zionists in Germany are treated, which is not well. Uh, so I can't, I imagine it's probably even harder to be a Palestinian uh, activist and like a pro-Palestine activist who's actually Palestinian or Arab in Germany. And I know, you know I, I lived in Berlin very briefly and I remember there was a very, very large Palestinian community, Syrian community, lots of Lebanese people um, who do care about this issue for obvious reasons. So what's it like for them? Like, or how are they depicted when they come out to support Palestine? I mean, just recently in, in May, when during the last uh, military assault by the Zionist regime against Palestinians in uh, Gaza and in uh, Quds, uh, as far as I know, there were individual demonstrations, but even then uh, they were being smeared. Um, mm -hmm. So one would, I mean, I remember seeing in one major uh, maybe the most read German uh, newspaper, which is a tablet magazine, you know, picture of a Palestinian flag, and then um, very negative, I mean, negative would be maybe too nice of a word to even describe it, a smear that uh, this is anti-Israeli, this is anti-Semitic. So oftentimes mere visibility of Palestinians or of a Palestinian flag of a protest in support of Palestine is just generally denounced as something that is a threat to Western democracy, civilization, and so on. But there are, yeah, there are protests, there are people who care and who do that openly, uh, but it isn't necessarily easy for, uh, for most of them. And I'm curious, you know, you grew up in Germany, so is, is this an issue that comes up in education, like just in primary school, do you learn about Israel? How do you learn about Israel? And is it, is it connected when you're taught about Israel to the Holocaust, is that connection made in the minds of young Germans that like, you know, we support Israel because, you know, we did the Holocaust. Like, how, is there a connection made in the young minds in Germany? So in my experience, uh, I did learn a lot about the Holocaust in school, which I also think is very important and it should be 
um, taught. And I even felt that sometimes it wasn't maybe even taught enough. I felt there should definitely be this awareness. I was I went to a very good um, high school and we did not necessarily, um, I don't remember having uh, learned about Israel at all, but neither about Palestine. Um, okay. It was, um, but I also did not learn about German colonialism, for example, in Africa or elsewhere. So it was, at least from my experience, it wasn't something that, that, that came up, but I did, of course, growing up uh, was very well aware of a pro-Israeli uh, sentiment, uh, thinking this was the status quo, this is quote-unquote normal uh, through the media uh, and through, throughout society. You know, and I'm curious also, I just have a couple more questions about Germany, and then I do want to get to another issue that I wanted to discuss to you since it's, you know, Pride Month, Pride Week, the issue of pinkwashing, um, but which Germany is involved in sometimes. Um, but I do want to ask you, Germany does have, especially in recent years, with the influx of migrants, many of whom are fleeing uh, conflicts that Germany is involved in. Um, but with the influx of migrants, it's really fed into the far right. Of course, this is also happening at the same time as this kind of neoliberal decay that we're seeing cause problems across the West. So I'm curious, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of footage in recent years. There'll be these white supremacist anti-migrant rallies, these far right rallies in Germany protesting against migrants and for other right wing causes. And oftentimes at these rallies, you'll see images of people waving Israeli flags. Um, so I guess I'm saying that to ask, um, is there a an extra level of support for Israel from the German far right? Do, do they, this does seem to be a global phenomenon, but does that fit into this, what I think is a global phenomenon of far right movements, really viewing Israel as like the ideal ethno state, one that they would like to replicate in their own countries? Certainly. Yeah, I do agree. It is it is a um, very global phenomenon. And it, we can see that in Germany, as well as in Austria and a German speaking world within the far right, how Israel is a model for these policies. So if we look into what Israel has accomplished within the past seven decades, the construction of racial hierarchies within the socioeconomic framework, the legal um, separation of people based on the way they are racialized by the settler, uh, the physical separation of people through walls, through checkpoints, through literal cages, and all of that combined with this military power, that is pretty much a dream for many within the far right, right? Um, so to that extent, Israel, yeah, does represent a um, perfect, as you said, an ethno state. Uh, and this is quite visible. Again, if we look at the AFD in Germany, that it has oftentimes proclaimed its support for Israel, uh, as well as the, uh, the far right in Austria, which were among the first to voice support for moving their embassy, for example, from Tel Aviv to occupy Jerusalem, which uh, none of these Western European countries actually did. But it was something that was an idea that was raised by the far right before anyone else within wow. Germany. And um, so there is this support, but I also wonder to what extent this is actually also used to whitewash your own anti-Semitism, um, because many of these people have openly supported anti or made remarks that are anti-Semitic, that are Islamophobic, that are racist and discriminating in, in different ways. Uh, so it's interesting to see how maybe the, the support for Zionism in Israel can 
maybe serve as a way for them to absolve themselves of their actual um, ideologies. But yeah, but they have definitely seized on the arrival of migrants and refugees in the last years, also oftentimes to stress that this is yet another danger and that what Israel has done and how Israel has um, basically oppressed and has, is continuing to oppress these people is a model that Germany, Austria, and other, uh, basically Germany, Austria should follow. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to ask you that's very German specific before we move on to a couple other topics is the issue that you actually brought up of German colonialism in Africa. Uh, Germany, if I'm not mistaken, recently apologized. Is it that they apologized to Namibia? Um, can you give a brief overview? Obviously, a couple minutes isn't really enough, mm. but, as, but a brief overview of German colonialism in Africa, because we're not taught this in the U.S., we the only the only German atrocity we're taught about in the U.S. is the Holocaust. That is it. German like Germany is a beautiful, amazing country now, and it was back then. They just had this little hiccup of Nazis mm -hmm. for a few years. That's mm -hmm. kind of how Germany is portrayed to Americans educationally, at least. Mm -hmm. So, can you give our viewers and listeners just a brief overview of the German colonialism in Africa that even you probably or, or, or your compatriots are not taught mm -hmm. about in Germany? Yeah, certainly. Uh, but it's interesting uh, what you said about that there was this one mistake that Germany did. This is actually something that was used by Konrad Adenauer, who was the first uh, chancellor, uh, who just like 10 years, I think, mentioned in the article after the Holocaust, said that this was sort of anti-Semitism was something that was only there for this period of time. And it was also something that the one of the leaders of the far-right AFD recently claimed, that there was um, that it was an exception sort of compared to a thousand years of glorious German history, if I'm not <laughs> but it was sort of along these lines, but yeah. So German colonialism, I mean, I think today uh, when I ask people in Germany, if they're aware of German colonialism, oftentimes from my, I don't have empirical data, but from my experience, most people are not. Um, and I wasn't really, I didn't learn much about it. Uh, it is, however, a, I mean, if we look back in, in the history, Germany entered this colonial drive quite late in the late 19th century, but did colonize quite a lot of places in Africa and committed the first genocide of the 20th century in what was back then called Southwest uh, German Southwest Africa, which is today uh, the country of Namibia, and has basically exterminated uh, Herero and Nama, most of the, their population. Uh, and this was the first genocide of the 20th century. Germany had established death camps. There had um, conducted medical biological experiments on people dead and alive. It was forced labor. People starved. Um, wow, that sounds I mean, really familiar. Like maybe a lot of those tactics, Germany then turned on its own Jewish population. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it is too cruel to even summarize it in, in as you said, in, in a couple of, of minutes. But this is part of German history that is not part of the German discourse. And just recently, the so uh, some of the descendants of the victims of these genocides have been trying to sue Germany for many years. And Germany has been refusing to deal with this issue, to um, discuss it publicly. I mean, until recently, streets in Berlin have still been named after some of those colonial colonialist uh, criminals. And even now, Heiko Maas, the foreign minister, 
after negotiations with the government of Namibia behind closed doors sort of announced that Germany would apologize, but they would not pay reparations. They would give them a sum to the government of Namibia, a particular sum of money that is basically um, the uh, development aid. So it doesn't necessarily reparations and it's not paid uh, to the descendants of the victims. So it's a clever way out for Germany to um, not really deal with this issue. It's a, it's incredible. I mean, the only way I can explain why it's okay to teach and learn about the Holocaust, but we're just going to pretend we never did the same things in Africa is just pure racism, like on a, like next level racism. Mm -hmm. And also they don't benefit from it, right? Like maybe, you know, and I, I guess with the Holocaust, it was something that affected all of Europe. Um, right. Whereas colonizing Africa was great for Europe. So there's nothing to really apologize for, right? Right. right. Um, also because the Holocaust, it was, it was not possible for anyone after 45 to deny or downplay the Holocaust. And acknowledging it was to some extent necessary for Germany to become part of the so-called international community again. So it, was, uh, it wasn't really a choice. It really had to. Um, so the question, but yeah, it is absolutely racism. So moving on from the issue of Germany, I mean, it really is incredible just the, the, the way that Germany's views viewed in the minds of a lot of peoples. It's like one of the most civilized countries in Europe. We could talk all day about why that isn't accurate, but I, I do want to move on to something that's related to Germany, but related to the West and specifically Israel. We'll start from Israel. It's the issue of pinkwashing. And I think this is an important issue to talk about right now because it is pride month, pride week. Um, and Israel does do this thing called pinkwashing, where it portrays itself to the world as this like LGBTQ friendly oasis uh, in the middle of this very scary, homophobic, hateful forest of barbaric Arabs who like throw gay people off of roofs and you know hang them. Uh, that's really that's really the narrative that Israel promotes as a part of its pinkwashing. So can you give, I guess, the academic definition of pinkwashing and maybe give some examples of, you know, what Israel actually does to gay Palestinians? Because that really does tear through this uh, really inaccurate portrayal of Israel just loving gay people. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So pinkwashing is uh, one of many, but maybe one of the most visible uh, propaganda efforts by the Israeli regime. So it's basically the idea of promoting or at least uh, publicizing the uh, a positive attitude towards um, people of different sexual orientations based on the idea that there is an equality, that, it is, that Israel is allegedly a, a place that is friendly to people of all sexual orientations. And, uh, but that is... Part of the other part of the, that propaganda is, of course, that Palestinians are not. So it is used as a way to promote the inclusion of minorities. is used as a justification for the continuation of this genocidal policy and settler colonialism against Palestinians. Uh, but as you said, there is it is it is a part of the so-called Hasbara. Um, public relations apparatus of Israel. And it is really just based on exploiting those racist ideas that many people who are Israel's main audience already have. So it just reaffirms this idea that 
people in this region, uh, indigenous people, are not as uh, enlightened or not as progressive as Israel supposedly is. Which is also not even true because, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Israel has these gay pride parades. And a few years ago, there was like a stabbing attack against people at these gay pride parades by these religious extremists in Israel who do not like the LGBTQ community. I mean, it's just not even accurate to say Israel's some beautiful oasis for this community because it has the same problems, just like the U.S. isn't either. The U.S. has a lot of homophobia. We have one of the most homophobic and anti-trans parties in the world, the Republican Party, uh, which literally supports like conversion therapy and wants to like ban trans people from existing. Um, that said, you know, there's also this issue of Israel actually blackmailing Palestinians if they find out they're gay and then using them as like informants or else they'll tell their families. It's like really grow, really, really grotesque. And, you know, I also think it's in many ways, Israel is the leader of pinkwashing because mm -hmm. other countries do it. And increasingly, the U.S. is doing it. Uh, we've got Biden, you know, flying the rainbow flag at U.S. embassies again. I think Trump got rid of that. Biden has resurrected that policy. But specifically with relation to Germany, the EU ambassador to Iraq is the former German ambassador to Lebanon, Martin Huth. And I believe that he was behind, you know, uh, was it last year or the year before? He flew the rainbow flag outside of the EU embassy in Iraq and caused a huge scandal. Because in a lot of cases, like, especially in the Middle East, the rainbow flag and like the Western funded sort of NGO complex, which really, really does push the LGBTQ issue, but in a way that tries to demonize its enemies, mm -hmm. um, they really do view it as like this kind of cultural imperialism. So I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. Do you see this kind of Israeli framework that pinkwash is being adopted by other Western countries. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is, as you say, it is part of this cultural imperialism. And in the case of Israel, as you pointed out, it is sort of a leader in this whole uh, propaganda movement. But to, to some extent, Israel um, necessitates this much more than any other country. Because if we look at what Israel is and how it legitimizes itself, it is still a project, a settler colonial project that has uh, not much of a connection to, to this place and to the land where it is on as Palestinians have. So Israel has constructed these founding myths and all sorts of narratives to help it um, in this rhetoric, to help explain why it should exist and why it is so vital for Western governments and um, and so on. Uh, and oftentimes it's also included the marginalization, dehumanization of Palestinians and then pinkwashing being just one of these many ideas where Israel is pretending that they are caring about a minority. But effectively, yes, this completely tries to um, divert the discourse from uh, colonialism and liberation and resistance right. towards the emphasis on the rights of a minority, and as you, in the in the example that you uh, that you mentioned, we see how so Germany that has contributed to a lot of misery in this part of the world is then pretending to care about a minority 
based on the cultural definition of that minority in Germany, which may be very different from Iraq or other uh, places. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, when there are bombs that are produced in Germany or funded by Germany, or when Israeli warplanes are killing Palestinians in Gaza or elsewhere, they kill people regardless whether they're gay or straight or whatever they identify as. So this whole narrative is really very empty. Uh, it is part of this NGOization, as you mentioned, as we also see in uh, Lebanon and elsewhere, uh, and just a way of promoting some sort of westernization but it also really is a question to to what extent these efforts are really interested in in the well-being of these minorities and whether they are actually abusing minorities to perpetuate their um their goals exactly and it's also interesting when you think about what all these countries you just mentioned whether it's israel or germany or the rest of europe or america look at the forces that they support, not just the Israelis who bomb people regardless of their sexuality, but you know they also spent the last decade arming and funding a bunch of jihadist death squads in Syria, which would, you know, jihadist death squads that don't view gay people or lesbians or trans people or queer people in a positive light or let them exist. Um, so it's just like, I, I like that you said the fact that you use the word empty because it's absolutely empty when compared to their policies. Um, that said, I want to shift a little bit before we wrap up here to your own background. Um, you actually, uh, you know, you, you're German, but your family is actually what you say, Yugoslavian, which is not a common thing people I feel like say these days. Usually they say we're Serbian or Croatian or Bosnian. But, you know, uh, can you, I guess, give our listeners and viewers a little bit of um, information about your own family's background and how that has shaped your understanding perhaps of imperialism mm -hmm. and of the way the West tries to carve up um, countries that try to resist, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, capitalism and, and, imperial, and their imperial order. Sure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was, uh, I was born in the country that was then known as a socialist federal republic of Yugoslavia uh, and then ceased to exist when I was uh, not yet aware of the world. Um, but yeah, I do refer to it as Yugoslavia because um, it was called Yugoslavia. It was a very, at that time when I was born, it was a very, uh, I think, unique um, country, unique system at that time. Uh, but also because it has, um, obviously, th with the wars in the 90s, uh, has become seven countries now uh, that are similar in many ways, but also quite different. Um, and then my own family is not just from one place. I have uh, Croatian and Bosnian background, uh, which sometimes is also quite difficult to explain. But uh, it is, I mean, Yugoslavia as such was quite um, multicultural with people of different religions uh, living uh, in the same space. And uh, I'm very grateful for having that as part of my background because growing up amongst different religions, uh, obviously something I find very uh, unique and enriching. Uh, it did, um, yeah, eventually shape my understanding of, uh, yeah, war to some extent um, much more, but then also... Um, it did shape my um, me growing up in Germany, having a refugee background, being uh, aware of some things that maybe the mainstream or general society, the average citizen, 
has not experienced, has not lived in refugee camps, has not had to flee uh, from their homes. So I think this, of course, adds a sensitivity to uh, to these issues and maybe also a sense of solidarity with um, with, with uh, people who are in similar situations and who are oftentimes today victims of uh, imperialism that is led by the United States, Germany, Western Western governments are oftentimes directly or indirectly uh, implicit in um, complicit in uh, in atrocities. But it ha- does it had uh, of course shaped my view on Palestine to an extent, mm. which it does, which it I think did for many people from Yugoslavia. Even though at the same time, we can see today that on the government sort of level within the former Yugoslavia, there's as well a pro-Israeli current, a Zionist current um, that doesn't necessarily reflect the maybe the experiences of their own populations in the recent past. And I'm curious, like when you say when we talk about Yugoslav identity, what does that mean, at least to you? And what was the significance of the destruction of that country and its system and culture? Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot, at least for me, um, it is some sort of a different world, a different time. So when I talk to my parents or any relatives that are older than me, I mean, they grew up in a completely different country, in a socialist system. Um, I hear narratives that I have personally never lived. So there is some sort of nostalgia involved when thinking about it. But it was sort of, I mean, Yugoslavia was at that time a country that was um, a leading part of the third world, of the third world. I mean, Tito was uh, one of the founders of the non-aligned movement uh, in the 50s and had at least to... Uh, some extent, extended solidarity with the third world, uh, had uh, closer relations, was unaligned, which means it was neither part of the Western bloc uh, of the NATO nor of the uh, Eastern uh, Soviet-aligned bloc, which gave it a very unique position within the world, but also strategically important one that allowed Tito uh, to follow policies uh, and get away with it much more because this, geographically at least, it was... Uh, of strategic importance for both sides. So I think it was unique in many ways, um, but also being a country in the middle of Europe that was part of the third world, of the non-aligned, gives it such a unique um, perspective, I think. And like having gone to Germany, I mean, are you familiar at all with like the German involvement in the breaking up of Yugoslavia and then the wars that followed? Did Germany, I mean, Germany, from what I understand, actually may have, uh, Germany armed far-right Croatians? Actually, not too aware of that. Uh, oh, okay. I, know, I mean, Germany did recognize the independence of Croatia and um, Slovenia uh, early, uh, which was, however, I mean, welcomed by many of the people because I think there was an international embargo and uh, it did because there was this drive for independence or independence referendums. And um, so it did resonate with, uh, I think, the population because it uh, provided this this path towards towards statehood in 1991-92. You know, in some ways, it kind of seems like Yugoslavia was this um, blueprint for Balkanization, right? Like that is has later been attempted to be implemented in the Middle East, um, where you know just so many countries are involved with arming different sides that in a way that um, uses religion to foster ethnic tensions and to really shatter a society that maybe a decade before 
could have never imagined being split that way. It's interesting. Yeah, I do think that there are, however, it, yeah, I think it definitely did provide a uh, blueprint, as you say. But at the same time, I feel that uh, during this era of Tito, many uh, conflicts or tensions were not... Uh, were maybe suppressed to some extent because mm -hmm. there were inequalities, of course. There were power struggles within Yugoslavia uh, between the seven or at that time uh, six republics, but also internally. Uh, it was, I mean, it was Yugoslavia, which uh, if you just to translate it means the, so Yug means south in, in, in the local languages. So it was a la the land of the, of the southern Slavs. But for example, the Albanian population never had the same rights uh, as the others. Uh, there were, the, the Muslim population did, didn't necessarily have the same access uh, for, for, for a while. So there were inequalities there before. And then I think it just it erupted to some extent in the, in the 90s when it became an internationalized conflict. And yeah. then there was this interest by, by everyone sort of to dissolve this, this place. Yeah. It's a, it's all very unfortunate. And um, I mean, history does repeat itself in so many ways. That said, Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people follow your work? Um, they can follow my work on, uh, where can they follow my work? On my website, uh, it's just my name.com. And I'm also on Twitter. Um, yeah. And you've been writing some great pieces, especially for TRT. Um, on this issue, uh, I've been following your work. I'm glad I finally got a chance to have you on and interview about it. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rania, for having me.